Oh, would it be wonderful then, as an old preacher used to say, to live above with those we love. Oh, that will be glory. But to live below with those we know, now that's a different story. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 3. You had to know James Earls. Ephesians chapter 3. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 3, and I read the first 12 verses. It says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore a few words, whereby when ye read ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of man, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Under me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this opportunity we have to open your precious word. I pray, Father, as we look in the word of God tonight, that we be encouraged, strengthened, challenged, and convicted where conviction is needed, that you will be glorified and lifted up in our midst, and we might be drawn to, to thee a closer walk with you, maybe even into relationship with you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul starts out this chapter with, for this cause. This is kind of a conjunction, or we might say, because of. So he's referring to what we just read, what was just prior to this, how that the Jew and the Gentile were made one in Christ. So for this cause, we are chosen for a cause. That's the title of the message tonight. We are chosen for a cause, for this cause. And Paul says, for this cause, number one, I'm a prisoner. I'm a prisoner. I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. I am a prisoner. He uses that term again in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1 where he says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. So I am a, Paul said, I'm a prisoner. The, the word, it means one in bonds or bound or a captive. 
Now, we know from reading, if you, if you read the book of Acts, Paul was born a free man. You know, many of the, many of the uh, subjects of Rome were slaves to Rome, but, and many of the Jews were, didn't have their freedom like Paul had but, uh, to entitle them to Roman citizenship, but Paul had that. He was free born. He was considered a Roman citizen. Remember when, when they arrested him there in Jerusalem and they brought him into the castle and they commanded him to be beaten. And he said, can you beat somebody before uh, his question, before he's examined? And what he meant by that was, being that I'm a Roman citizen, you're not allowed to chastise me until you've examined me. And therefore, have just I've got to have a trial first. I'm entitled to a trial because I am a Roman citizen. Now, if he'd been an ordinary Jew, they could have beat him without a question because he wouldn't have been considered citizenship. But he was a freeborn. And, and you remember the centurion said, you know, how'd you get that? And he said, My, uh, I was freeborn. He said, mine came at great price. But he here, when he says that I am a prisoner of the Lord, I am in bonds by choice. The idea is willingly. I put myself into this place of prisoner, being a prisoner. In Romans, and I think we can get a little understanding of what he means by being a prisoner of the Lord. If you go to Romans chapter 1, and we'll follow this a little bit here through the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 1, verse 8, he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making requests, if by any means, now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. To the end you may be established, that is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purpose to come unto you, but was let hitherto, and that means he was hindered from going, that I might also have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise, so as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. As much as in me is, with all my being, with all the power that I have, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you at Rome. I'm ready to, to buy any, if by any possible means, I can get there. Do you get the idea maybe Paul had a strong drive to go to Rome? No, he wasn't going to the Roman Catholic Church. There was no such thing then. That didn't come to about 500 years later or 400 years later. But there were churches at Rome that had been starred by others, and Paul desired to go, that he might impart some truths to them. And, of course, this letter was written to them. In uh, uh, chapter 9, chapter 9, we see a little bit of this again, speaking concerning his brethren. In chapter 9, verse 1, he says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish myself that my, myself were cursed from Christ, my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. 
who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. I, I wish, could wish that myself were accursed from Christ. If I could pay for their sins and spend an eternity in hell, I would do it. Kind of what he's saying. Chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Paul said, I'm a, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm his servant. I'm, I have chosen that path for my life. Willingly. You know, we have been purchased, redeemed, if you will, off the, from our sins off the auction block of sin and death to serve the living and true God, to be a witness to his resurrection and the remission of sins, or, or, and that means the sending away of sins. Look at Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, uh, some of the last words that Jesus gave his disciples before he ascended back to the Father. In Luke 24, verse 46, it says, And he said unto them, this is it writ- this, Thus it is written, And thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and ye are witnesses of these things. So this is this is your commission. This is what you're commanded to do. This is this is how you this is your to be your occupation. And this is what Paul said, I've made a prisoner of myself too. So I've chosen. This is my cause. I am bound to this willingly, gladly. Notice the second thing, not only says I'm a prisoner of the Lord, but I have been chosen, or should say, we have been chosen by God. Now notice in Ephesians 1 again, or 3 again, verse 1, and then also verse 7. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. Then in verse 7 he says, Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me, by the effectual working of his power. I was made a minister, he says. In chapter 1, verse 4, he says this, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. See, God has chosen us to be his witnesses, to be his servants. The word chosen means to pick or to choose out for oneself. You ever play a game of pick-up softball or a game of pick-up football? We used to do that when I was kids. We often, you know, summertime we played softball and wintertime we played football. And we'd pick, a, pick you know, we'd point two captains or have two volunteers draft style whatever we had to do to get two captains and then they'd pick up whoever was there you know to play that day whoever was there they'd they'd start picking their team you know it was kind of embarrassing when you were the youngest and the littlest 
and you know they'd pick everybody else, and then they you're kind of the last one. They say, well, we'll take you. <laughs> we'll take you. That's not that way here. It's not that way here. You see, this choosing or this picking out, God has picked us out for himself. He's picked us out for himself, for purpose. I want to notice three things about this choosing. First of all, it's a gift of God's grace. In verse 7, he says, whereof I was made a minister. Now, Paul, now, now, now understand something. Paul was trained to be a theologian. He went to the best schools in Jerusalem. He learned at the feet of the, of the best doctor of the law in Jerusalem, Gamaliel. He was trained to be a teacher of the Jews, Jewish religion. A minister, if you will. He was trained to be, we would say, a clergyman. But he says this, I was made a minister. I was chosen. All that training, of course, he tells us in Philippians, that training was good for nothing. It doesn't count for anything. But I was chosen by God. It's a gift. Notice, I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me. It was the grace of God. Look at, look at Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. In Galatians 1, 15 and 16, he says, But it when pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, and called me, and that word called has the idea of chosen or picked, by his grace, to reveal his Son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I confer not with flesh and blood. God chose me, it pleased God to choose me or call me. It's a gift of God. Yet why did God choose you to be in this place? To be in this church or your family to learn these truths? Yeah, you could have been born in Chicago. Or Cuba. Or Pakistan. Or Syria. I had a friend that was born in India. Was adopted by American parents. Who were Christians. He got saved over here on a farm in Wisconsin, went to Bible college, surrendered to the mission field, went back to India, and he often says, why me? Why me? It's a gift of God. It's a gift of God. Paul said, God revealed his son to me. God has revealed his son to you. To you. 
You know, there are 7 billion people in the world. Why you? Then sometimes we complain. You know, why did I have to be a deacon's kid? Or a preacher's kid or a missionary kid? Or a pastor, or pastor's wife. You ever stop and consider the privileges that God gave to you? You know, Moses' wife called Moses a bloody husband because of the circumcision. She didn't like that circumcision. And Moses sent his wife back to her father for a while. And while she was back with her father, she missed seeing the demonstration of God's mighty power in the plagues of Egypt and their grand and glorious exodus out of Egypt. She was with her father. She missed it. You know, we can, we can wallow in. You know, the Christian life isn't always easy. And we can wallow in our, and pity ourselves for the place that God has given us and miss what God has for us in our life. The blessings that he has. You see, Paul said, it was a gift of God. Now think of all the things that Paul endured as a prisoner of the Lord. And he's saying, it was a gift of God. But think of all the blessings that he also benefited from. So it's a gift of God's grace. Secondly, it is evidence of God's power working in your life. Notice verses 7 and 8 again. It says, Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, whom less than the least of all saints is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. It was evidence of that Paul, that, to, it, that God was working mightily in Paul's life. Remember Paul said in Ephesians 2, for by grace we say through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's just God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Then he said this, for we are his workmanship. We are God's work. But you know, unlike clay, we have wills. We can resist the potter's hands. But you know, Paul was a man who allowed God to direct, to shape, to decide his life for him. Therefore, God worked mightily in the life of Paul. Now, did Paul ever resist? Oh, I think he did. I think he did. You know, he was told three times, not to go back to Jerusalem. But he did. He was so burdened for his brother, he went back. His thinking was, like ours would be, surely they'll listen to me after all that I've suffered. Surely. And after all, I'm bringing a gift. I mean, they're in a drought. They're in a severe 
uh, uh, difficulty back then. I'm bringing gifts. But see, God worked mightily in the Apostle Paul. Go to, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians 15, verse 3, Paul writing to the church at Corinth says, For I delivered on you, first of all, that which I also, what's that next word? Received. Now, Peter could have said, I delivered on you, first of all, that which I witnessed. But Paul said, that which I also received. Someone told Paul about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But Peter, James, and John, they saw it. They experienced it. While they were serving God, let's read on. Uh, and, he, and that he was buried, and that he rose again a third day, according to the scriptures, that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, and that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain of this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and notice, and last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time, for I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace which was spoken upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. So God worked mightily in Paul's life. You know, and he and, and, and you know while they were serving God, he was against God. Now, while Peter, think about it, while Peter, James, and John were serving God, Paul was against God. He was persecuting the church. The churches. You know, he might say it this way. We would say, he's a Johnny come lately. You know, you may be a Johnny come lately, but you don't have to be a Johnny left behind. You don't have to be a Johnny left behind. Paul was not behind. Though he came later, he was not behind the chiefest of the apostles. Because the grace of God worked in his life. He yielded himself to God's will. And God worked effectually in his life. You see. He labored more abundantly. He said, I, I, I received of God's grace abundantly. He wrote to the Romans, said in Romans 5.20, Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. You know, my sin abounded. But God's grace so much more abounded in my life. And someone has said, you know, the greatest ability that you have is availability. How much do you make yourself available? Paul gave himself completely to the Lord. He would be like the, 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 uh, uh, the uh, Caleb of old who said, He wholly followed the Lord his God. And of course, Caleb was the one who said, Give me that mountain, I'll drive out the giants. At 85, I'll drive them out. 
if God be with me, I'll drive him out. And he did. And that's how Paul, the grace of God, it says, effectually working of his power was demonstrated in Paul's life. Let's just notice a third thing here. Not only have we been chosen by a gift of God's grace and was evidence of God's power in his life, but we have been chosen to understand and share truth that is a mystery. A mystery is just something unknown. A mystery to most. Look at verses 8 and 9 again. It says, Unto me, whom less than least of all saints is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hidden in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. So God has chosen me, he's chosen us to understand the mystery from the beginning of the world that is now revealed in Christ, and to share that mystery to those that don't know, which, by the way, is most people. They're in the world today. I want to notice several things here about that. First of all, God revealed to Paul and to us the mystery of the church. Notice verses 3 to 6. It says, How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby, when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body. Okay, what's the body of Christ? It's the church, the local church. So this was the mystery that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. So that was the mystery that was before hidden that's now revealed to Paul made plain to Paul. We learned this morning that Peter's getting the idea. God had to make him hungry. You know, they say the weight of man's heart is through his stomach. God had to use Peter's hunger to get him to see the truth that he needed to preach to this Gentile. But all this is revealed to Paul. He's given us the the, the, the understanding of of the the church and the, the doctrines of the church uh, were given through the Apostle Paul. And so Paul was a chosen vessel to understand these mysteries. And a mystery is just something that was before hidden that's now revealed. In fact, Paul, when he wrote Timothy, in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15, 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15, <clears throat> excuse me, he said, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave, th- behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. See, he wrote Timothy to give him instructions how the church or the churches were to be conducted. The practice of the churches. All these things were given to Paul. He was chosen. To have this revealed to him. And it's revealed to us through him. And through the word of God. He was a chosen vessel. 
And God, again, God has revealed this to us to share with those that do not know. He was chosen or picked out, as we are, to preach. Notice verse 8 again says that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That word preach means to proclaim glad tidings, specifically to instruct men concerning the things that pertain to Christian salvation. You know, Jesus gave us the commandment, that we call it the Great Commission, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And so we've, we've been given this responsibility, we've been chosen, we've been picked out to instruct men concerning the things of salvation. He says to make men see, verse 9 says, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. To make men see means to bring to light or cause to become clear to all. You know, the world's understanding of a church is very skewed. It's very skewed. Because we got things called churches today that don't fit the biblical description by any stretch of the imagination. The Roman Catholic Church, it's not a, it's, it doesn't even come close to what the Bible calls or describes as a church. The Presbyterian Church, you know, we're talking about some machine, some monstrosity of a thing. You know, they call them denominations, but they also call them church. They call it a church. It's not a church. But not only do we instruct men, I want you to notice something else. We instruct principalities. Look at verse 10. To the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. The word principalities here means it's a term is transferred by Paul to angels and demons holding dominions, entrusted them in the order of things. The word powers refers to one who possesses authority. It could be the leading or more powerful among created beings, superior to man, spiritual potentates. So these, these you know, when we talk about principalities and powers, we're talking about people in, or, or, or authorities or powers beyond us, or it could be among us. Let me ask you a question. Where did our founding fathers learn the principles upon which our Constitution and our Declaration of Independence based where they learn it where do those principles come from did they learn it from the Roman Catholic Church Roman Catholic Church makes slaves out of you 
They still persecute people in some parts of the world who don't believe like you, like them. Did they learn it from the Church of England or the Anglican Church or the Presbyterian Church? No. Go back in time to that time period, those churches were persecuting people who did not believe like them. If you preached without a license, you were arrested and put in jail and fined and maybe had your belongings confiscated. If you didn't attend their churches at least once a month, you would be fined. That's the way it was in colonial America. To our founding fathers started looking or learning from Baptist preachers and Baptist churches. You see, they learned these truths from churches, the churches of Christ, Bible-believing Baptist churches. This book, America's God and Country, a Cyclopedia of Quotations, John Adams said this on June 28, 1813, a letter to Thomas Jefferson, John Adams wrote, the general principles, quote, the general principles on which fathers achieved independence were the only principles in which that beautiful assembly of young gentlemen could unite. And what were these general principles? I answer the general principles of Christianity in which all these sects were united and the general princes of English and American liberty in which all young men united which had united all parties in America in majority sufficient to assert and to maintain her independence, unquote. They're the principles of Christianity. Uh, ben Franklin, in the letter to the French ministry, March 1778, he said, quote, Whosoever shall introduce into public affairs the principles of primitive Christianity. Not modern day. He wasn't talking about the Roman Catholic Church or the Anglican Church or the Presbyterians. He's talking about Bible Christianity. Will change the face of the world. Unquote. Thomas Jefferson. March 23rd, 1801, wrote to Moses Robinson. He said this, quote, The Christian religion, when divested of the rags in which the clergy have enveloped it, and brought to the original purity and simplicity of its benevolent institutor, is a religion of all others most friendly to liberty, science, and the freest expansion of the human mind. This is just a few of the founding fathers. Now, no Webster. Now, mind you, these guys weren't Baptists. None of these were. But they understood something. No Webster said, quote, in, in my view, the Christian religion is the most important and one of the first things in which all children under a free government ought to be instructed. 
No truth is more evident to my mind than that the Christian religion must be the basis of any government intended to secure the rights and privileges of a free people. Unquote. So where did they learn these truths that are self-evident? You know, Thomas Jefferson wrote a letter to the Danbury Baptist Association, and you know who you quoted in it? Roger Williams. Roger Williams. Let's look at a few verses here. As we think about this truth, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9. Now, I don't pretend to understand all this, but I believe what the Bible says, that churches are instructing, yea, even the angels, about this mystery, the church. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 9 says this, for I think that God has set forth us the apostles last, as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. Now the word spectacle is a Greek word from which we get our word theater. So Paul's saying, I'm like a theater. Whom the world and angels are watching. I'm a theater. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 21. 1 Timothy 5, verse 21. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another. Do nothing by partiality. Then go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. 1 Peter 1. Look at verse 11. Or let's start with verse 10. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what? Or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which is in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed, that not unto themselves, but unto us, that administer the things which are now reported unto you, by them that have preached the gospel unto you, with the Holy Ghost, sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. You know the angels have an interest in what's going on here? And they are learning. I believe from what Ephesians 3.10 says, the angels are learning truth. Because the churches are the pillar and ground of the truth. They're learning truth from churches like ours. So we have a, we have a great responsibility and privilege we've been chosen we've been picked out to proclaim to instruct people now I appreciate what our president has done 
you know where he's getting a lot of his instruction? He's got guys like Mike Pence, Mike Pompeo, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, Ben Carson. He has some biblical principles, but he is a Southern Day Adventist. But he's got advisors like this that understand principles of liberty. And if you understand principles of liberty, you also understand the principles of capitalism. Because the two go hand in hand. You see, we as God's children have a privileged place. We've been picked. We've been chosen to make men see the truths of the word of God. And I want you to notice the third thing. I'm about finished. We have been chosen for this time. Look at verse 2. Verse 2, he says, If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you word. Now, the word dispensation is, means an administration or a stewardship, and it kind of has the idea to do with a period of time. We, we say there's dispensations or there's different periods of time in the Bible. For example, there was a dispensation of innocence when Adam and Eve were innocent. When they sinned, we call it the dispensation then of conscience, where man is ruled by his conscience. And that ended with the flood. When God judged them with the flood, and then he instituted human government. If you kill man, by man shall your blood be shed. That's government. That's the simplest basic form of government. You know, so there's periods of time where God gave new truths to people. And in this time period, Paul was chosen, specifically chosen out to reveal the doctrines concerning the church. He said a dispensation of the grace of God which has given me to you word. I've been given this privilege and this responsibility by God to instruct you in the things concerning the church. That all will be Jew and Gentile are one in Christ. That was a new thing. That was a new thing. And Paul, he had to continually challenge and instruct people and correct people all his life about that very thing. Because those false teachers followed him wherever he went trying to corrupt that truth. Call them Judaizers. Things haven't changed. The Judaizers just have new names. They call them Charismatics, Pentecostals. Yeah, they got all kinds of names. And so God has chosen us for this time. In Acts 13, 36, it says, For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep and was laid under his fathers and saw corruption. You see, David served his own generation, and God has chosen us to serve this generation. You're not here by accident. You're here for a purpose, for a cause. 
God put you here. He placed you in this. He set you in this body for a cause, for a purpose. So we've been given this stewardship of revealing to this generation the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice again in verse 9, he says, And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hidden, hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. <clears throat> Peter says, <clears throat> excuse me, 1 Peter 2, verse 9, But ye are chosen, again, picked out, selected, however you want to describe that, generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into this marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So Peter says your chosen generation, you're God's royalty. Paul said we're seated in the heavens in Christ. We've been accepted in the beloved. We're children of God. You've been called out of darkness. You've received the light. And we're to share that light with others to show that light. Not only to share it, but to show it by a different manner of life. That's what conversation means. Manner of life. Way of living. He says, they're going to behold. In other words, they're going to look at. They're going to see. Like you're a theater, they're going to watch you and behold your good works. I read a story of a guy who rode the bus every day. And one day he got on the bus. And the bus driver gave him the wrong change. Gave him a quarter too much. And when he got back to his seat, he figured out he got a quarter too much in change. His first thought was, oh, no big deal. It's just a quarter. Then he got to think about it. Spirit of God convicted him and said, but it's not yours. So he goes, on, goes to get off the bus. He said to the bus driver, sir, gave me a quarter too much in change. And here it is. And then I think he gave him a track or he told him, I'm not sure if he was a pastor or who he was, and the bus driver said, yes, I know who you are. I just wanted to see if you were real or not. You see, the world's watching us. We're their theater. It's not that we don't ever make mistakes. When we do make mistakes, we never make them right. But our life is to be different. They ought to see our good works and glorify our Father which is heaven. And they ought to behold our good works 
and glorify God in the day of visitation. In other words, when, when time of calamity strikes their life, they will come to you or look to you for some hope, for some answers. See, that's our purpose. We have a purpose. And Paul said, it's God's eternal purpose. He said in verse 11, according to God's eternal purpose, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus. In other words, it was purposed or executed by Christ and it's to be carried on by us. Jesus went about doing good works and we're to go back doing good works that glorify our Father so that in the day of visitation they'll glorify him. You see, we have a high and holy calling. We are privileged to be chosen to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. Are we being faithful to our call? Are we proclaiming by life and by word the unsearchable riches of Christ to those around us? That's our calling. We have a cause. We're chosen for a cause. Might God help us to fulfill that cause? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time and your word tonight. Thank you for the challenge it gives to us. Lord, I pray you help us to be faithful as your people. Help us to realize the calling that we have, the privileges that we've been given, and to rejoice in the opportunities that you've given to us. So Lord, just help us, give us grace, and give us strength that we might glorify you. We do pray in Jesus' name.